everyone. Happy Tuesday and welcome back to our next Digital Lunchbox. Today we're going to be chatting about how to conduct a website analysis, both for your own company and also what to look for when you're looking at your competitors. So let's kick this off. What is the biggest or number one mistake you see on a person's website? Number one mistake. Ooh, that's tricky. Uh, you know, it, it, it often, from my perspective, it often tends to be around messaging or clarity of the value proposition, just stating clearly what you do right from the get-go on your homepage, for example, or, you know, really hiding that down somewhere where the viewer can't initially see it or not even having one at all. That, that's definitely a common mistake, but you know, there, there are lots of things. Uh, Adam, what, what about you? What do you think? Yep, what I was gonna say was that value proposition. So that first thing you see on the site, um, not being, uh, at least if I'm a customer or user going to site, the first thing I see isn't what I'd expect to see. Um, for instance, let's say I'm going to a site with a very specific product that really stands out. I, uh, I jump on there and there's nothing about that product, even though I was on Google and I searched that product, all of a sudden I'm on this website and I have no idea what I'm looking at. So knowing, uh, not knowing what the user is on your site for in the first place or somewhere having a miscommunication between your users and the site, um, just in that first message there. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it sounds silly to say that, you know, well, tell me what you do and why I should care that that should be right there on your website front and center, but it's amazing what, you know, internal politics and mm -hmm. uh, opinions can do to a website over time. So uh, that, that is a very common thing that we do see. So what else should you be looking for when you're looking at a website to do, a, to conduct a full analysis, looking for areas of improvement? Sure. Uh, you know, beyond messaging, we like to see some sort of data, you know, data collection, i.e. Google Analytics. Uh, analytics are, are key to understanding what's working, what's not, and are you making progress over time? Uh, Adam, what would you say? Um, I mean, kind of jumping off of that analytics there is like, if those analytics are in place, there's a lot of stuff we can use off of those. Um, if they aren't in place, obviously setting them up right away. But let's say you have analytics set up and we notice that most of the users are on mobile, but the site isn't responsive at all. Um, you know, making sure that is a, one of the first things you kind of tackle in this kind of website audit because uh, people can't access it on the device they want to. Um, you're losing a lot of customers. Yeah, and you know, with analytics installed, it doesn't mean that everything is set up correctly, you know, or you could be missing opportunities such as filtering out your internal traffic, all the people at your company using your website. Well, they're not your target customer and they're not really, they're kind of polluting your data. And that's, that's uh, you know, something that's easy to skip over, or maybe you're pulling in accidentally analytics from your development site that have nothing to do with with your production website so we we definitely see uh, a lot of mis misconfiguration kind of data pollution issues um, on on various websites that we encounter yeah i mean there's a lot to do just right out of the gate to make sure that you know everything's set up correctly and that's usually where we start you know if there's not a place where everything's being collected in the right way um it could be problem 
on the line. So that's definitely the first like place to stop. And then from there, we talk with the client or talk with, you know, even internally, just talk a little bit more about what our key pages are, um, where we know users need to be, and then just talk about what we have there. Um, sometimes, like Seth said, there's a lot of stakeholders, that there's a lot of reiterations of different really important pages because they're important. Um, sometimes the message can get lost a little bit. So sometimes just taking a step back and really understanding the key motivations of that page and the key motivations of the users, uh, making sure those are in line. That makes sense. So in terms of messaging, it sounds like you have to build out a value proposition and maybe even identify a, a value path, a direction you want to steer your customers. When you're creating a value proposition, is there some sort of formula for that? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> you, you know, there, there are various formulas that you can use to craft uh, a value propos uh, proposition, such as, you know, Mech Labs has a, a formula for the components of a good value proposition. Um, you can get into a lot of detail about that alone. Um, but really, if, if you think of it at a high level, it's what do you do? Uh, how is it different from other people? And, and why should I care? And, and then, you know, Leading, leading off of that eventually is some sort of action that you hope them to take, you know, that's presented maybe not on that page, but a, a secondary page. Um, and, you know, value propositions tend to be on the homepage front and center, uh, the main corporate value proposition, but really the goal is to get people off that homepage and down, you know, a, a, an important action or funnel, whatever you want to call it. User yep. journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, on my end, like, I really like to kind of take that time to really take a step through which if there is a value proposition that already exists, is kind of list that stuff out and say, hey, does this make us stand out? Does this motivate the user? Does this do this and that? And sometimes putting some kind of metric together or kind of rating what is working and what doesn't work as a, as a group or whoever the stakeholders are. And then instead of just being like, well, I don't like that word, or I just want to change this because I feel like changing it, you kind of list out those things that we've been talking about. How do we motivate the user? Does the user actually get to where uh, our lead generation form is or something like that? And if that's a no or yeah, but it's not working very well, you can kind of layer a bunch of different ideas for that value proposition that give you an idea of like what's actually going to help instead of being like, no, let's just change this whole statement here because I like the sound of the statement better. You know, actually measuring those different aspects of the page uh, can be super helpful. There's a ton of tools out there for that too. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good check right there is like, are you testing? You know, if you have enough traffic, are you doing any kind of testing? Are you looking at the data besides Google Analytics? Like, are you testing messaging? Are you seeing where people click? Um, that, that's a good check mark right there. So you mentioned lead generation, Adam. Are there right and wrong ways of having CTAs implemented on your site and lead capture forms? Are there right and wrong ways to do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the CTAs uh, on a site, uh, it can be challenging to kind of set up exactly where you want to bring a user. You know, you have this chance, this one chance to get them to the right area. Um, and putting up a CTA for something that maybe leads to a dead end 
Um, and again, having the data to see where these people are coming from, where they're going after they click that button, will help that help you find that out. But uh, just making sure that you're funneling them in the right direction. Sometimes if the CTA leads right to a form entry or a purchase, you're missing out on the in-between to actually legitimize yourself. Um, if you're too slow to the process of getting the user to the end goal here, they're gonna lose interest and leave the site. Um, in terms of forms, uh, making sure that they're as concise as possible, that people know what kind of fields and what stuff they're supposed to be entering. And if you don't need that field, like uh, let's say for some reason you might not need that company name in a form field for lead generation, maybe you can remove that. I mean, a lot of people do need that to make sure that they, that they have the right type of leads. But if you're just using a form um, for lead generation and putting in fields that you expect to be there, um, sometimes one extra field is what's taking people out of the out of out of that uh, funnel. Interesting. Do you want to touch on that funnel, Seth, too? Because I know that we're we're big advocates for that funnel here at 08. Yeah. Well, you know, people come in to your site from various levels of openness or consideration. You know, if they don't know your brand, well, they're probably not going to click just contact us right, right out of the gate. Uh, if they're coming from a dis display ad or something like that, they just happened upon you. Um, you know, if they're searching for something very specific that you do and it aligns really well with their search intent, uh, okay, they might contact you if all of the user experience, the flow, the messaging, everything works out. They know what's gonna happen when you, when they click that contact us button you know, someone will get back to you within one business day or one hour. You know, you're not going to get spammed if you enter your email. All these hesitations that a user has before they take action. If you handle that whole flow, then they might contact you. Um, but there, there are so many ifs, right? So you need to, you need to think along the whole uh, stage of awareness. Like, hey, I just clicked on an ad, and it's my first time seeing you. Okay, what maybe? Maybe I might download a little checklist or, you know, a, an easy, easy treat, something like that. But then as they get to know you, it's maybe their fifth, tenth, who knows, impression of your brand, they might consider a webinar or, you know, something that takes more of their time, uh, uh, more of their information, sharing data. And then eventually they might, you know, as they, uh, align with what you do and they get into a decision-making process, then they might contact you or set up that demo, you know, whatever. So you really have to think, okay, do my landing pages, does my website in general follow this kind of awareness to decision path? And, you know, am I, is my CTA premature? Am I asking for, you know, contact us right now on the homepage when, you know, a lot of your users are just figuring out who you are for the first time. Um, so that's, that's really important to think about. Yeah, it can be so challenging to, uh, I guess, ride that line. It's like, why should someone trust you right away to put all their information into your, into your form right off the bat when you haven't told them anything about yourself? Um, but then sometimes you can put way too much in and the, the actual end goal is kind of lost. So, uh, and like you said, it's back to that A-B testing, figuring out what works and doesn't work for your audience. That makes sense. So we've touched on messaging, um, the value props, 
lead capturing, CTAs, and a little bit of analytics, but let's talk about optimization. So I know that when we're conducting a website analysis, we like to look at if the site is actually being optimized in terms of keywords, heading tags, things like that. Is there an easy way to make sure you can do that? Let's say I have a WordPress site. Is there some sort of plugin I can use or just making sure I'm getting that done if I maybe don't have an agency partner? Yeah, um, I mean, right off the bat in terms of WordPress, a uh, really popular plugin that we use across all our sites as well as Yoast. Um, Yoast is fantastic for SEO. Um, even if you're not a developer or a digital marketer, if you're just trying to jump in and see what's going on, Yoast has a ton of documentation video tutorials to help you kind of get up and running and figure out what you're missing out on in your site. Um, there's, you know, global settings, like making sure that you have a site map uh, um, that Google is being able to see in other bots um, to more specific stuff. Like, are your blog pages having the right keywords? Uh, are they readable to, um, to bots? Uh, all this kind of stuff. And Yoast does a really good job of laying it out. Um, there's a free version and a premium version. I think for a lot of people, free is more than enough to just get started. Yeah, and you know, Yoast is available on the Drupal platform as well, which we um, we, we tend to use a lot. Um, there, there are a lot of great tools on the internet, like Neil Patel's Uber Suggest, for example, if you're looking for a keyword strategy or to see the you know, various volumes on what you're hoping to write about or the content that you're um, hoping to pursue, uh, you know, I, I suggest, uh, you know, if you're looking to get into SEO or marketing kind of DIY on your own to follow the marketing school podcast, uh, Neil Patel and Eric Sue, they, they, they've got a lot of great tips and tools and tricks that you can use if you, if you're looking for kind of a self-starter or, you know, learning path on that front. Yeah. And I'd just say also like, delving into it. If you haven't before, just take a deep breath, you know, just take a step back. Like a lot of times you can jump into those and you're like, well, I need to put keywords down and there's every single word ever. Like, where do I start? Um, and I think, yeah, podcasts or other learning resources, you know, just kind of really focusing in on your messaging there and just kind of building out from there. Start small. And, yeah. And of course, you know, an agency like us can help you develop a keyword strategy that takes into consideration all of these different parameters. Cause it is, it's, it's tricky stuff and you probably want to be writing for some sort of result. I mean, it's great to write and it's great to get content out there and that can help people convert, but um, you know, some sort of strategy behind it is what really drives results for your business. Yep. So you mentioned keywords on your blog and that brings me to another question how important is a blog or your content marketing when it comes to the success of your website? It's pretty important. I mean, you Google looks for sites that are moving, that are thriving, engaging. You know, if you've got a static site and it never changes, Google is going to say, okay, well, what are they even doing over there? Uh, so a blog is a great way. It's not the only way, but a really great way to... Uh, publish hopefully valuable content that a user would actually engage with and click on. You know, these are all metrics that Google uses to rank. Um, and, and it's also a way, of course, to showcase your knowledge to a prospective customer uh, as well. So yeah, of course there's the SEO uh, component, but you know, you have to be a thought leader out there. And so thought leadership 
translates to SEO results if you do it right, if you write long form content. Uh, but also, you know, it's an important part in the funnel uh, for someone considering to interact with your business. That's a, a good point. It can kind of act as, as another step in that funnel to get them to convert to become a loyal customer. Mm -hmm. um, so what about social media presence? I feel like that's another, another nice way to kind of have another hand on your customer and helping them through that funnel. Should you have all of those connected to your site? I know we at 08, we have our Instagram, for example, that, that shows up and kind of shows the human side of our, our highly technical business. Is that something that everyone should be doing? What if I don't have social media channels? Should I? What do you think, Adam? I mean, social is really important. <laughs> um, obviously, it's like uh, you need to make sure that you have content that you can put out there, um, you know, and that goes with the, what Seth was talking about in the blog post as well. Like it has to be content that you really care about and does actually push your message out there. But being available in those different resources is important. I mean, look at us now. We're on Facebook Live and uh, it's really fun to interact with people even outside of the actual business value. Um, but it makes every you feel like uh, I guess it makes your business feel more alive to the internet. It keeps your uh, um, audience growing and changing and interacting, um, which is all extremely important. Yeah, and you know, on that subject, it's kind of the humanity of your your business. Like it's it's a, a very important channel to show that hey, we're we're engaged, we're here, we're alive, and right now that's kind of extra important right so um and and also it's a way to engage with other brands you can have your facebook page comment on another brand's facebook page maybe they're kind of a partner of yours or they're um, you know like we uh work with drift for example maybe you know commenting back and forth that on certain posts opportune posts that can be a way to just be visible in more channels than someone coming directly to yours. You can also appear in other conversations and be, be a part of them if you're really, really engaged on your social media. But you know, that's the A plus version, the kind of like, you know, be doing all right version is just being out there posting once in a while because people do check that. That's part of their decision yeah. process. Like, hey, are they even alive? You know? Well let me talk about like uh, you know how much how much it takes to you know optimize the site for CTAs and making someone comfortable with with a platform when they jump onto a new website. Um, if you're advertising correctly or even just communicating with people correctly on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of these, like that is a that is a medium that people are already comfortable with. Um, and if you have a presence there, like they're comfortable more comfortable with you, um, you can really grow your audience and talk to more people there. Interesting you say that because I've definitely done that before. I feel like I would have maybe been pitched an ad for a deal where I just think it's too good to be true. It's got to be a scam. I go to their website. I'm not so sure. But if I see those social channels linked to their website, I go to the social channels and I see all of the engagement interactions following, you know, people have commented and, and left nice reviews. Then I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I can actually buy from this place and, and my business is safe with them. So I think that's a great point. Um, so we've really covered about how to establish value, but let's go back to some of the technical stuff. Um, you mentioned Adam being mobile friendly and having a responsive website, but what about load times and 
image quality? And how do you find that balance of having high res images and, and nice content like videos, but also having good load times that don't kick people off? I mean, it just seems tricky. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a constant struggle because good assets and images used in a site can really add to the experience there. Um, but if they're not optimized correctly, they can be a huge issue in terms of load times. Um, along with images are fonts. Um, fonts can be one of those hidden things that really affects load times there. For images, fonts, a lot of these other kind of files here, one of the things we recommend a lot is a CDN. Um, CDN basically holds these images and other files on a separate server and is uh, able to increase the speed and security of the site. Um, a lot of times doing that can help out speed a lot and make sure that you can have the optimized or I guess high quality images that you want to have. Um, same with the videos as well. Um, another kind of quick change is for a lot of people like actually embedding uh, YouTube or Vimeo videos on their site instead of using uh, an MP4 file or something on the site itself can help out speed. Um, but a lot of times uh, it is working with a lot of different things. Like there's there could be images and fonts and changes to those that help out. Um, but after that, you have to delve into the site a little more to figure really figure out how to optimize it. Um, and that's important. Uh, Google and other search engines do look at the speed of your site. And if your speed is really low, you're not going to be ranking as well. Yeah, and it's also a really important factor in conversion optimization. You know, slower your site is, the more your conversions are going to drop. It's just a fact. It's, it's a baseline thing. And on the CDN note, people still have various opinions about it, but in 2020, if you don't have a CDN, like you're doing something wrong. There's there's Cloudflare out there for free. Uh, there there's just you just don't have any business not having a CDN right now. Uh, it's so critical to performance, but also security. If you're ever under attack, you can flip on I'm under attack, and it you know uh, challenges uh, users or user agents with JavaScript. Uh, challenges. So it, there are just so many reasons why it makes sense in 2020 to use a CDN. There's a blog article on our blog about that if you want to know more. And such a large uh, amount of people that are using websites that don't have CDNs don't have to pay like extra money for it. The free plan on some of these CDNs will work perfectly well for many, many people. Yeah, exactly. So these are a lot of great things to do when conducting a website analysis. I and your company, do you do these same things when you're looking at your competitors? Or what if you have a specific competitor in mind and you're just like, this company is doing way better than us at attracting and converting leads. What exactly should you be looking at when you're looking at their site? Well, I would say the same things, you know, are they, do they have the baseline things together? Uh, but also you can, you can see what technologies they're using if they're using you know, Google Optimize or any of the A-B testing tools, if they're using Hotjar, you know, some of these heat map and user journey recording tools to, or, and of course, analytics, and hopefully they have an analytics if they're a competitor. Uh, but, you know, you can see if they are being proactive about their growth and about their, their website and their digital presence. And you can also use Wayback Machine to see how you know, if they are using A-B testing, uh, you can use Wayback Machine to see, oh, they have gone through this iteration and this iteration. This is how 
they've improved over time. So you can actually see how a competitor has improved over time. Um, and you can also set up a visual ping alert to alert you to changes on their website. So you can, if you're really <laughs> honing in, you can uh, uh, really follow a competitor, at, at least at the website level. And then there's, of course, their keywords and SEO that you can, can monitor as well. You can look at their ads. There are just tons of ways you can track your competitors. Another, yeah, another thing I've got there is uh, that um, you can look at their users. Like if they do have a strong social presence, if they have reviews anywhere on their products and they're doing much better than you or they're, you're just trying to figure out how they're doing in the market there, see how users are actually talking with them. Um, maybe they have some kind of special value proposition or some reason that makes people really want to um, be a part of their product or purchase their products. Um, and a lot of times people are just out there commenting on that saying, this is why I love these people so much, or this is what I don't like about these people. And you can take that information through uh, um, just looking through those engaged users and say, well, we aren't doing this or we are doing this, but aren't actually advertising it when so many people are frustrated in this other client or this other company, not, uh, not having that kind of value in their business. Yeah, that kind of copy mining is is really great. Not not just for understanding your competitor, but also for your own copy. You know, if you can see right. people like this type of thing, or it provides value to them, then incorporate that into your copy. That's that's uh, you know, with enough statistical significance behind that, you know, incorporate it. Um, you know, looking at their their keywords, their their SEO. You can use Facebook ad library to see their uh, paid ads. You can look at, you know, there's similar solutions uh, for looking at their Google ads. Um, lots of ways to keep track of them. Huh, I had no idea you could be so sneaky. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, well, I think this was super useful, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, and for anyone who's interested in conducting a website analysis, we are happy to help you out, whether it's to look at your own or your competitors and look for areas of improvement, just let us know. But we will be back here on Friday for our next digital lunchbox. So thanks for joining us.